I thought what we'd do just to, to start today, I was going to start off with a couple of rugby jokes, particularly Australian rugby jokes, but my heart is so heavy this morning that I can't possibly mention anything like that. Uh, but what I thought we'd do, um, for those that haven't had a flavour of summer church, is we'd start off with an interview. Um, so without saying any more, I'm going to hand over to Mr Bree, and uh, he's going to do an interview for you. Now, many of you will have heard Luke's story, and indeed been part of Luke's story. Um, but uh, Luke uh, has got a particular background um, that I'm just going to ask him to share about. So, Luke, your, your teenage years and growing up, could you just give us a flavour of that? Not too much detail, but just a flavour of what being a teenager was like for you. Well, being a teenager, I was quite rebellious. Um, I didn't do well at school, didn't really want to do well at school getting into trouble all the time, making sure I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, basically, because didn't enjoy being a teenager, didn't want to be at home, didn't want to be out with good role models. I just wanted to experience the world in everything it had, which I thought was being a rebel and misbehaving. Okay, and just a little bit about your family background as well. What was life like at home? Um, me and my parents never really saw eye to eye because... I didn't agree with a lot of what they did. My dad wasn't the greatest role model nine times out of ten because he was always he was never around, or when he was, we were arguing. And then I spent a lot of time with my aunt and uncle, but my uncle's not a good role model either. So I didn't really have a stable role model in my family that showed me the right way. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much. So that's your background. You're here today. So we're going to talk a little bit about the journey of how you got from where you were, kind of lonely. Yeah, kind of uh, people around you, but still a bit lonely. Um, somebody, and I'll, uh, we're going to mention this person's name, and I know he's, he's, he's Mark, why don't you come and join us? Because actually, I'm going to do this chat to you as well. Um, Mark, Mark's, Mark's a teacher at your school, and um, Mark had a particular influence on your life. How did that happen? Sorry, I didn't tell you this. Well, um, <laughs> there was Mark, when I first initially met him, I didn't really care too much because he was just another teacher. But over the years and when the rock climbing wall opened up here, I spent a lot of time and a lot of my spare time was with Mark and he became the male role model in my life where he just had, I sent something in him that I could really be comfortable with and really feel safe at. And unlike most other teachers, they, he didn't jump to a conclusion. He actually sat down with me, spoke to me and learned about me. So I just grew a very okay, strong gonna, bond with him. I'm going to stop you there and give that to you. So, so Mark, I know you're going to want to say that you did nothing special, and I hear that. But clearly you saw something in Luke that... Yeah, go on. Tell us what, why, you, why you interacted with this young man. Um, I suppose prophetically spoken over me is that I would have keys to unlock people that other people didn't have. And, and I always saw that as things like the climbing wall, the out outdoor things that I do. And, um, and I've tried to allow God to use me in, in that situation. And Luke was really interested in it. He'd, he'd come along and he'd, he'd volunteer. And I just tried to, to draw him in and uh, just to get him to, to take part in it. And he used to come along and volunteer with clubs and, and help out with parties and things. And he was, was fantastic. Um, it, it was just an opportunity to spend time with him and talk with him and and to share as well. Great. So, 
for you, that was a very natural thing. You, you knew the call on your life from God that you would have this kind of influence on people's lives. And so you were just able to share your life with him. Nothing magic, nothing special, just share with him. Great. Thanks, Mark. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> so, look, we perhaps need to skip a bit now. You, you started coming along to church. You, you felt comfortable here, but there was still stuff going on in your life. Let's talk a little bit about some of the issues that you were dealing with at the time. Well, I've had severe anger issues for a very long period of time since I was younger. And even being at church, I was still, as much as I loved being here, it was very unsuring because there were so many people. I always tried to find a corner, keep myself away, but not that everybody noticed that I'm keeping myself away. And my anger issues always made me fear to get close to people because of if somebody says the wrong thing at the wrong time or I'm having a bad day, I was very likely to explode and just lash out to anybody. Great. So that's where you were. So over a period of time, you, you, you began to realise that there was something in this Christianity thing. You asked a few more questions. You got involved. At what point in your life do you feel you made that commitment or you said yes to Jesus that I need to change and I need you to help me? Uh, I think it was within like the first year I was at church where the questions I was asking were getting answered and I couldn't think of any other reasons to ask questions and everything was getting answered. Um, the first time I really experienced like Jesus in my life is when I went to the New Day, which is a Christian festival for the first time. And I was in the big top and I was like, everybody's getting touched by God and I'm a bit wary because it's my first year and I'm like all oh, these people are weird and then out of nowhere as soon as I'm like they're weird this is never going to happen to me I just felt God touch me and really work something inside of me okay so I mean we talked about this earlier in the year and you were at New Day again this year let's talk specifically now and just to conclude so you're in a you're in a tent with 5,000 ish other people it's loud and it's dark, and there's flashing lights, and stuff is happening, and yet God comes close to you. Can you just describe that experience to us? Well, for me, I, my hand, like all my hair stand on the, on, like in dance, and it's, everything gets goosebumpy. I get the shivers without being cold, and it just takes you to a place inside, like with God himself, that although you're with all these people, you're on your own with him. It's just isolated you and him, that one-to-one -one moment, and you don't care. You don't, you're not aware of everything else around you. And that was God. Was it anything else? Could it have been anything else, or was it definitely in your mind that God came close to you? It was definitely God, because nothing else can take me out of, like, especially where I was then, nothing could have taken me out of that environment, because I was very aware of everybody else around me. So for... If anything else could have taken me out of it, I would have said it's impossible. But saying it's God, I'm just like, yeah. Okay. And finally, one final question. We talk about God wanting to change people's lives and the fact that God changes people's lives. For you, how has God changed your life? Well, he, all the skills I did have and still do, he's developed and he's made me a lot more confident. And instead of being the person that pushes people away, I now know that I'm Quite, I'm quite strong in faith and a strong person in general that instead of pushing people away and using my own strength for myself, I bring them closer and support them. So God has changed my outlook instead of being self-centred to be as servant-hearted as I can.
talked about anger. What about anger? So God has gifted now. me with a very, very long fuse now. I don't get angry as quickly. I just, and when I do, I just take a step back and go, God, give us some help here and give it to him. Amen. Thank you very much, Luke. Let's thank Luke, shall we? Absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Luke, for being so honest. It's great to hear that story, isn't it? Really good to hear it and to just get to know Luke a little bit about what he's been through. And I'm sure if you ask him more questions, that story goes on and on and on in the detail. Um, but it's, it's just brilliant um, to hear that. I thought it was good to start with that this morning, to start with the confidence that Jesus turns our life around. Because he did that with Luke, didn't he? Completely turned his life around. And even as I talk to Luke now, he's not the same person as I was talking to two years ago. He speaks differently. He smiles differently. And it's great to, to hear that. Um, And it's great to see the amazing things that uh, God does. Um, My uh, talk today is uh, called Purified for Purpose. And if you've uh, read on in your Bibles from 1 Corinthians 4, you'll know it's on 1 Corinthians 5. And um, how do I put it? Perhaps not the passage I would choose to preach on. Richard isn't here, but I really want to give him a great debt of thanks for this passage that he's allocated to me. Thank you, Richard. Uh, It's a great passage. Let me just give you a little feel for it, um, just to start with. It starts off with, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. You'll be glad to know there are no PowerPoints today. Uh, and And ends with, purge the evil person from among you. So it's, it's, it's quite a passage this morning, and uh, it's one that actually uh, I think we want to go into and work out uh, about it to try and understand the passage. Uh, I'm going to read about half of it first of all. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the passage, try to understand what was Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, and then kind of step back a little bit and say, well, what is God saying to us today? What is he challenging us with from this passage. Okay, so if you're with me, I'm going to read from the uh, English Standard Version, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. It says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you rather not to mourn, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord." Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, I understand that as yeast in dough. So a little bit of yeast uh, works through the whole lump. It cleanses out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Don't know about you, but I think we need to pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, Lord. And as we come to this, Lord, will you help us to understand what Paul was saying and understand what was not being said? Lord, will you speak to us, Lord? Lord, we don't just want to understand a a passage that was written 2,000 years ago, Lord, but we want to hear from you this morning, Lord. We open our hearts to you and say, come speak to us, Lord. Come be with us by your spirit. Come challenge and and encourage us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help me as I I speak to to be clear and to get it right in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so... To start with, two thoughts on this passage. I'm going to start there, and then I'm going to move a little bit to the relevance. So, here we are. Number one, I didn't ever think I'd say this in church. A man has sex with his stepmother. That's where we start. So, we start here in this passage that there is sexual immorality in the church. It's a church in Corinth, and Richard has talked a little bit about the context of the church in Corinth. But I just want to talk about a couple of bits about that church in Corinth. Because Corinth was a a big uh, cosmopolitan place and uh, it was one of those places where anything goes. It was a morally corrupt place. Uh, Leon Morris on this chapter, uh, he's a commentator on it, says this. Corinth was intellectually alert. It was materially prosperous but morally corrupt. And what had happened here is that the corruption had got into the church. And noticed it happened in two ways. There was this uh, sexual immorality going on in the church, but also the church was allowing it to happen. And somehow almost boasting in it. Oh, look, we can let this happen in our church because we're a free church. So we're very happy with this happening. It's a strange place, isn't it, to be? a strange thing to think about. Interestingly, let's just, I just want to talk a little bit about, more about Corinth. You know, if you, if you said somebody had become Corinthianized, they'd be like a person in Corinth, that would be being rude about them. It would be Greek for going to the devil. In other words, it was a, it was a place where when you used the word Corinth, you thought about it in a very immoral way. That would be your perception of it. Now, please understand, as we read through this passage and we see phrases like, deliver him over to Satan, and we say, removed from among you, please understand that what was going on here was not normal, okay? We don't, don't, please don't feel concerned. It's not, oh dear, I told a lie, will they kick me out? Or, oops, I looked at something I shouldn't have on on the internet, is somebody going to notice and say, get out the door? It's not that. We are talking about a corruption in the church that was very obvious and huge. In fact, the church in those days, generally, across the different places where the church has been planted, was morally relatively pure. And so were the synagogues. Yes, the the Jewish synagogues. They had a high moral. So this, this was an odd thing to happen. So as I was uh, preparing this, I was really looking for a modern-day example of this to help us to understand. So uh, uh, when you do that, God graciously gives it to you. So let me give you an example of something um, that's happened. I'm trying to anonymise this because this is a very difficult issue that has happened in a church uh, 
where a friend of mine attended a few years ago. So, this is the kind of thing that happened. And interestingly, when the church went through this issue, the, what they were, the passage they were using to help them through this issue was 1 Corinthians 5. So, uh, a group of asylum seekers began to come to uh, my friend's church. So they welcomed them in. They were from a particular community that was coming into the church um, and was coming over from another country. So they welcomed them in. They tried to support them in every way they could. They were doing good to them. They were helping them if they could with their paperwork. Um, And these people were obviously from a Christian background. They spoke with Christian words. They worshipped with them. Maybe they even raised their hands in worship. I don't know. They became part of the family of the church. But somehow it just seemed that things weren't quite right. Maybe it was the cultural difference. They didn't know. It was just things seemed slightly strange. And uh, I'm not making any comment on anybody's dress by saying this, but the, the, um, the family who were particularly coming, the, the man, the woman and their kids, they had a number of girls that came with them. And those girls, they, it just seemed... These these young kind of teenage, older, uh, maybe girls in their 20s, their shirts was a little bit short for church. Okay, well, that's one thing. But it it also seemed that sometimes their clothes were just a little bit see-through. And and the church began to become just a little bit uncomfortable, as you can imagine. And uh, eventually, the um, uh, couple were arrested. And uh, they were eventually convicted of running a prostitution ring. They were members of the church. How did the church react? How should they react? Should they say, well, we need to support them and we need to encourage them? Or do they actually say, well, this is one step too far? What were they doing bringing these girls to church? Were they trying to recruit? What was, oh, my mind stops there, you know, and I think we probably should. But there is the stage here. Can you understand the depth of this? That actually this should not be in the church, should it? You know, and that's the time when the leadership needs to go around, as, the, as Paul was saying here, and put somebody outside the church and say, actually, this is enough. Okay, if you're going to live like this, we can't have it as part of our community as a church. Is that, does that help you understand the depth of what was happening here? It's interesting, isn't it, that, that the church in Corinth thought that by being broad-minded, they would allow this to happen in the church, and it was effectively working through the church and destroying the fabric of the church as it, as it talks about it. But as I, as I talk about this, I want to talk about grace. I want to talk about us being a grace community because we get things wrong, don't we? You and I know that we get things wrong. We let God down at times. And if this is, this is a, a different stage, if you like, because when we let people down, we know that God forgives us. That by Jesus on the cross, he forgives us from everything we do. There's nothing we can do that discounts us from the love of Christ. We know that. But we also know that we love the church and we want it to be kept pure. It's interesting, um, and I'm not going to spend too long on this. On verse 5, we get this phrase of delivering this man over to Satan. And my only understanding can be that they were kind of ejected out of the church. But interesting, in the next part... It does there say, so that their spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So even though they were ejecting them, Paul was saying, eject them from the church, he said, so that they will be saved. Even in that, the heart 
was that there would be a restoration. And that's our heart, isn't it? That's the amazing thing about hearing Luke's testimony, that God restored him. As he was repentant, God met him. It's just amazing. And I do, I suppose in in today's age, I have a a question about that. Let me um, give you a a little example. Uh, Let me see, who am I going to pick on? I'm sure Mr. Budd. Can I ask you a question, Mr. Budd? If I have to, do you, do you follow a, a football team? No. You're going to be no use whatsoever. Anybody here follows a football team? Nobody wants to admit it, do they? <laughs> oh, do you, what do you follow a football team? What's your football team? Crystal Palace. Okay. <laughs> do we all like Crystal Palace in here? Okay, so we're going to make a judgment in this church that following Crystal Palace is such a serious sin that we need to eject Ian and his whole family out of the church. But it's so serious. We can't have this working through the church. Who knows? What colour are their strip? Red and blue. Red and blue. We'd all be wearing wear red and blue. That wouldn't be good, would it? (laughs) Watch it, Mr. Bree. Now, where was I? So we could eject him from the church. Well, what would happen in our day and age if we did that? Well, Ian would simply walk down the road, wouldn't he, and go to the next church. And we would hope that maybe there's communication between, and maybe he'd have to do two or three. But actually, we're in a different context, because in the context here in Corinth, there was one church. If you were out of that church, you were out of fellowship. So it is strange, isn't it, in terms of the, that, that idea of what might happen. Verse 5, though, is where we need to centre our hearts, is that Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. By his death, we are cleansed from all sin and restored to a relationship with him. Brilliant to hear about Luke's relationship with Jesus, wasn't it? that, That relationship is so strong. Okay, so how do I talk about this today? How is this passage relevant to us today and as I thought about that I thought well let's look into that word sin what does it mean what is our understanding of it because we 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 use that word or sometimes we try to avoid it but what does it mean so the the next little bit I'm going to talk about sin I'm going to talk about repentance just to get it us to understand it okay so what is sin Is it doing something wrong? Is it supporting Crystal Palace? Is it commenting on my shirt? What what actually is sin? And the, 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 the idea I like most is rebellion against God. It's doing the things that God doesn't want us to do. It's walking in a way that God doesn't want us to do. Or not walking in a way that he does want us to do. Does that make sense? So that's my understanding of sin. That's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. It's doing the things that God doesn't want, displeasing God. Okay. Wayne Grudem, in his uh, systematic theology, splits sin into different elements. And I think this is helpful for us today. He said... 
there's sin in terms of action, there's sin in terms of attitude, and there's sin in terms of moral nature. Attitude, action, and moral nature. Actions. Actions, first of all, such as stealing, committing adultery, lying, murder, doing those things that we know are wrong. We've got the um, Ten Commandments, haven't we? We've got all sorts of things in the Bible that show us what is right and what is wrong, what we should and shouldn't be doing. So there are actions in terms of sin. However, often behind those, there are our attitudes, aren't there? Our attitudes towards things. It's interesting, isn't it? How much do we affect the world and how much does the world affect us? How much do what, of what we believe is from what we read in the newspapers, what we talk about, what we've heard from our parents, or do we believe from what we read in the Bible? How much do we actually, how much are our attitudes and our values based on Jesus? Matthew 5, verse 21 to 22 says this, but you have heard of old... Uh, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Action. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's the attitude of anger. He's taking it one step back. It's our attitudes that he's looking at. What other attitudes are highlighted There's lust, isn't there? Desiring after something, often that's used sexually, that we shouldn't be desiring after. There's jealousy. Wanting something that somebody else has got. Being jealous of somebody else. And there's selfishness, trying to put yourself first, because we know when we get to know Jesus that actually he's first, and it's serving him and serving others, rather than always putting ourselves first in terms of selfishness. It's those attitudes. For those that work, I wonder how people would categorise you at work. I always wonder that at work. If you never mentioned that you were Christian, would they suspect it anyway? Would they be looking at your attitudes and your values and would they say, hmm, this person is different? I don't know what it is, but somehow they seem to be turned upside down. It seems they seem to be different. There seems to be a compassion about them. There seems to be a love about them. There seems to be a lack of gossip in them that I don't understand. I don't know what they are, but I know they're different. How would people look at you at work, whether that's in a workplace or whether that's uh, in your family? How do people look at you? It's interesting... um, George Gallup of the Gallup Polls says this, and this is uh, from some of his research in, uh, in America. He says, there's little difference in ethical behaviour between the churched and the unchurched. There is as much pilferage, I assume he's stealing, pilferage? Yeah. Pilferage, dishonesty among the churched as the unchurched. It's the kind of challenge here, isn't it? So do we live differently? Are our attitudes different? Not just, are we not going to murder somebody on the way home? Because probably most of those people that we work with wouldn't do that. But are our attitudes significantly different? Have we significantly been turned upside down by Jesus? 
What about attitudes with family? Would our parents or our children say that we are patient? That's quite a one, isn't it, for parents in the room, or even for the children in the room sometimes, isn't it? It's quite something. But to have the patience of Jesus. How do we deal with our anger? It says, doesn't it, in our anger, do not sin. How do we deal with that? It's interesting hearing Luke pulling that out, that God has changed his anger, that the steps are much larger. What well, is that happening with us? Or are we still those that get suddenly angry? Are we gracious with our family? Do we show that depth of grace that even though it's hurting, we still keep pulling through? Do you know, I think it's so important that we are those who are different. We are upside down. And that we allow God to look at our attitudes. Not just our actions, but our attitudes. We allow him to work. And it's interesting as, as, as we talk about sin, that I think, you know, it, it's God that convicts, isn't it? He comes and he challenges. And I'm just going to allow him to question you. And I don't want it to be heavy this morning, but I think it's just really important that we are substantially different from those in the world. It's a real challenge, what George Gallup said, isn't it? That the church to know different. We want to be different in our workplaces, significantly different, so that Jesus is glorified. It's three things. Attitudes, we've just talked about. I talked about actions. And the final one is moral nature. Ephesians 2 verse 3 says this, carrying out the desires and the body of the mind and were by nature, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, before we made that decision to follow Jesus, our moral nature was sinful. We were a being that was sinful. And I'm, do you know, I'm, uh, one of the things that summer church has made me think is how do I say that but without using Christian words? How do I look at it from the other side? And I think if you, if you look at that from the other side, what you're saying is, if you're living for yourself and you don't have faith, if you're not trusting in Jesus, then you can see that you are not following him. Yeah? That you're not making your decisions based on him. Therefore, your moral nature is in, using the Christian word, in sin. Your moral nature is for yourself. And actually what the Bible challenges us and challenges all of us, and many, many of us here have made that step, is to make a step of faith and say, well, do you know what? I'm not going to go my way. I'm going to go his way. I may not understand it all, but I'm going to make that decision to open the door of faith and say, okay, Jesus, I want to go your way. Because he, then he changes our moral nature, and he does that turning upside down. And as we try, then we try and live out his life. And I want to just challenge you today, if you don't, haven't made that step of faith, God can do that. In an instant, he can change your moral nature in an instant. And a little step of faith saying, okay, I believe in Jesus. I don't know all that it means. Please explain it all to me. What does it mean he died and sins and all that kind of stuff? But that step of faith makes such a difference. It changes your nature. And when that happened to me and when I was 13 years old, slightly frightened boarding school boy, my life was changed upside down. You can hear Luke's testimony. His life was changed upside down by that step of faith. And his moral nature 
was changed and what a change we've seen in him. So those are the three things um, talking about sin. And I think it's under, I, I like it in that way. Three ideas gets my mind around the idea the, where the Bible used the idea of sin. Okay. Well, when we talk about sin, we then talk about repentance. We repent of our sins. Another biblical word. So what does that mean? Well, in my mind, it means rejecting sin. So saying no to those things and following Jesus. Notice the two. Saying no and following Jesus. Uh, 1 John 1 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's not, can God forgive me? It's by Jesus' death on the cross, he forgives all our sins. Completely forgiven as we confess our sin to him. Now, repentance is a funny word because when we explain it to children, we usually I first explained it to, uh, to my uh, sons as saying sorry. That's not quite right, is it? I'm uh, a teacher. And so you just imagine the, the story, uh, you know, somebody's kicked somebody and somebody else has kicked back. So I said, okay, separate out. Right, now say sorry. Sorry. Right, and you, say sorry. Sorry. It doesn't mean anything, does it? What it actually means is I've been told I've got to say something, so I'm going to say the words, and then I can get out of here. And sometimes what they say is, sorry, I didn't mean it. Which what actually means is I'm trying not to say sorry, because what I wanted to do I've done, but I'm trying to get out of trouble. It's a a strange thing, isn't it? I mean, there's... There's all sorts of ways in which people say sorry. And I, I can see the concept there, but it's, it's different, isn't it, to the sorry. You've had teenagers, you'll know this. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes all one syllable. But there's an essence, isn't there, in terms of repentance, of rejecting and following. I think the, the phrase that I came up with to try and, again, take it out of the, 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 the Christian language is, it won't happen again. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going over here. It won't happen again. That may be the intention. We all know that what happens to intentions. But maybe the intention, but the power of God, I'm not going after that. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's the intention. I'm not going to do it again. So, it's been a cheerful morning. I've talked about sin. I've talked about sexual immorality. uh, And now I've talked about repentance. And uh, the message of 1 Corinthians 5 is that with sin in the church, it goes round like yeast and it affects us all. But the message of Jesus and his death on the cross is that through repentance and faith, we can change the world. The power of repentance is absolutely huge. It is so glorious. Not so glorious that you want to sin so you can repent again. Don't get me wrong there. But the glorious of repentance. And if you look at some of the amazing works of God across the world, which I haven't got time to go into. I've got an amazing story from uh, uh, Korean revival in 1907 where repentance People started repenting of their sins to one another. 
confess your sins to one another, the Bible says, doesn't it? And that had such power. The power of repentance is huge because it says, I'm not relying on myself. I know I've got it wrong, but I'm going to follow Jesus. And that is absolutely huge. And that's what's going to make a difference in our world. That's what's going to make a difference to our attitudes. That's what's going to make a difference to our colleagues and our families and our sons and daughters and parents. That's what will make a difference, that repentance. Okay, so where are you? (laughs) You knew it would come to this. He said staring people in the eye and then looking down. Where am I? Is your moral nature sinful? In other words, have you made that step of faith? If not, can I encourage you to grab somebody? Either somebody that stood up earlier, come and grab um, Graham or Sue at the front, come and grab me afterwards and say, look, I don't know much about this Jesus, but if I, what I want to do is what, want my life turned upside down because I know I need something. Come and do that. Also, as I was pre- preparing this, for those that do know Jesus here, I just felt God highlighting attitudes Just some attitudes that are in you. And I think God just wants to challenge you and just question those attitudes. Some of those attitudes sometimes lead to habitual sin. He just wants to question those attitudes. I don't want to do it. I want God to move amongst you and just challenge you. What's God speaking to you about in terms of those attitudes? I was talking with um, Andrea and she was very, very pleased that I was given this um, topic to uh, Andrew, my wife, to, to preach on. Um, and was very worried about me talking about sexual sin um, for an awful long time. Sorry, that was sexual sin. Um, and uh, <laughs> very worried about that. And she said, she said, you know, it's all about the grace of God, isn't it? And she gave me a little picture that I thought was really nice to finish off with. So here we go. Here's, here's a picture of the grace of God. Imagine... A child, maybe three or four, getting ready for a wedding, smartest clothes on. Okay? Parents really proud of how they look like. And the child goes out to play for one final time in the garden. Over they go, crying, grazed knee, damaged trousers, you know, muds everywhere, and comes in to see his dad and says, Dad, I'm sorry. What does the dad do? What does dad say? Does he say, you shouldn't have done that? No, he doesn't. He said, my son, come here. Give me a hug. I love you. Yeah, I know you got it wrong. It's fine. We'll patch the trousers. It doesn't matter too much. And that's our heavenly father, isn't he? He loves us. And he loves us when we come to him. He loves to hug us and to say, I love you. And I forgive you for whatever you do. I want the very, very best for you.